Welcome uh, to South Point, everybody. Uh, we are one church in two locations. want to say hey, everybody to everybody at Allen Park. Good to have you with us. Or I should say, like Mark Essick usually says, what's up, everybody? And happy birthday to Mark. It's his 43rd birthday. Our condolences. Yeah. Clap for Mark. Uh, condolences to our <clears throat> MSU folks here. I'm very sorry. But uh, things are going to get better. At least here they will. Uh, uh, you know, our mission is winning downriver to Christ, and, you know, if this is your first time here, really glad that you've joined us. If you're watching online, really glad that you're with us as well, and we'd love to meet you sometime in person. Um, but this series that we're in, we believe that not only can it change your life, but it can change the life of your family. It can, in, in fact, affect future generations. We all want to make, uh, you know, kids better off, and so let me remind you that every year at South Point, we collect... Uh, dinners, uh, food, and gifts to make sure every South Point family in need has Christmas. So we're doing that again this year. And if you are a family that has uh, been here for at least six months, you have a sincere need, uh, whether it's just you, you know you or it's you've got kids up through high school age, we would invite you to go out into the lobby to sign up to receive Christmas uh, food and gifts. Um, we're also taking on this year. Uh, foster children through Bethany Christian Services. These are children who are waiting for a permanent home. And so if uh, you would not only like to perhaps receive, not only can you sign up for that to receive, in fact, we're going to put a number on the screen that you can text. You can text the word GIFT to 734-890-5454. You can also go on there to see a list of the items that are needed. Give it to you one more time. It's 890-5454. Text the word gift to that. But you can also go out in the lobby to the area where there's a Christmas tree. There's a table with information, lists of things that are needed as well. You can pick that up. In fact, what we would encourage you to do is perhaps uh, your, your family or your group would get together and purchase all the supplies for a particular family in need or one of those foster children. This is a great way to... Uh, to make our community a better place, to make our church a better place. And I, that's what this all starts with, is the belief we want to leave uh, our kids and our, our grandkids and our friends and our community better off that, because we were here. We, we know that life's not going to end with us. We're going to leave a legacy, and we want it to be a good legacy. And we've learned that to have that good legacy, you've got to recognize that you can't be everything your kids need you to be. You can't be the hero that they need or your future generations need. Sometimes we lead them in the wrong direction, right? We make mistakes. We, we, we let them down sometimes. And so that's why we've talked about you've got to, to lead them in the right direction. You've got to begin with the end in mind and give them a bigger story. Because when you begin to think toward the end how you want the end of your kids and grandkids' lives to be, the fog begins to clear and you can really begin to see how you want them to turn out, really how, you, how God wants them to turn out. And you can begin to map a route to get to that destination. But we've said you can have the greatest destination, the greatest place that you're going to arrive at, but uh, that doesn't mean that everybody wants to go along with you on that trip because there needs to be some road rules. You've got to know the wind, and that's the heart. Because you know, along the way on that trip, we can really get into it. And we need to make sure that we're not just winning arguments, but that we're, we're winning hearts. We don't want to lose their hearts and their trust along the way. Nobody wants to end up there alone. And that's what can happen 
if we're not focused on the right things, right? If we're, if we're expecting them to trust us, if we want them to earn our trust instead of us building trust into them through our love. It begins with love. And so if you missed any of those previous messages, you can still watch them on our website or listen to the podcast. Each week, we have been reminded of how quickly time really passes, that we only have so many years with our kids, so many weeks, so many days with them. What are you going to do with that time to make the most of it? Let's go back and watch this video, part three. girls' rooms really get that dirty? <laughs> I raised two boys, man. And I've told you before, those of you with daughters, it's like, <laughs> you're, you're like the real parents, man, especially during those teenage years. That's, I think that's when it's toughest, isn't it? And it goes by so quickly. I mean, sometimes it feels like it's going on forever, especially when you're a kid. I mean, if time goes by so slowly, it drags on. But as you become an adult, you know, especially parents, it just starts to fly by so swiftly and so we said here are 936 cinnamon fireballs and this candy has been reminding us that's how many weeks we have with our kids from birth through high school graduation just 936 weeks and every week that goes by another fireball is taken out the time is going quickly and what are you doing to make the most 
of those weeks and those days and those moments with your kid. And I don't mean trying to fit in as much as you possibly can, as many experiences and activities that you can cram into their schedules. I'm talking about what are you doing to make the most of their time by building into them the best values and the right worldview and leading them in the right direction to get them to the right destination, to be not only what you want them to become, but to become who God wants them to become. And if you're careful, you can waste a lot of that time and you can misdirect them in a lot of ways so that they don't wind up in the destination they should arrive at. And the problem, I think, in our leadership a lot of times is that we tend to lead by word instead of by action, right? We say, do as I say, not as I do. And kids are pretty good at figuring out fakes, right? Dad makes all these rules, but he never follows them. Mom says to live this way, but she doesn't. And, and parents can, I think, t talk a real good game about you know, trusting God. But do they actually see us living it out? Sometimes we, we fall into this trap that we think our most important job is to fix them. <laughs> to, to really just to fix people, to tell them this is the way to live and how to do things better. And it doesn't even have to be in a negative way or bossy or judgmental way. We just think we know best and we're going to tell them what it is. But what if the, the better way to help them is not by diagnosing all that they're doing wrong, telling them all the ways they're messing up, but instead that we would focus on becoming the best me I can be by, by showing them my heart, right? I, I think it would fundamentally change the way we parent if we really believed that the greatest thing that we could do to direct the heart of our child is that they would see our hearts going in the same direction. And it doesn't matter whether your kids, your grandkids, future generations, your coworkers, your friends, what do they really see in you? Do they see you live in what you believe? Because what my kids need is not just another better lesson. They need a courtside seat to the real deal to say, show them this is what it means to live for God. See it in action. Because we've realized that we can't be the hero. We can't be superhero parents or superhero friends that have all the answers and, and can do everything just right for them. They need a better hero than you and me. And there is only one hero that we can point them to that will lead them all the way the right way, and that's Jesus. And he is the perfect example of living what you believe. So in those final moments when he's with his disciples in that upper room, he's sharing his heart, he's sharing his legacy in John chapters 13 through 17. And we've been looking at that over the last few weeks. And if you want to look it up in your own Bible, that would be great. You're going to look up John chapter 13 or you go on your Bible app and you search for John 13. But you know why we put the Bible verses on the screens? It's because we want everybody to be able to read along with us. And we recognize not everybody owns a Bible. In fact, we don't want people coming here who own a Bible. Really? You know, we, we want people here who don't even, have never cracked open a Bible, who aren't familiar with it at all. I mean, absolutely, we want Christians here, but we want this to be a place where you feel good, comfortable inviting your unchurched friends to, that they're going to get something out of this as well, even if they've never opened a Bible before in their lives. And if, if that's you... Welcome here, and we would love to give you a free gift, a free New Testament out in the lobby. Go to guest reception out there or Info Central. We would love to give you that, but you can just download the YouVersion Bible app onto your device, and you can always read along with us. But here we are, we're in John chapter 13. Let's look at verses 2 through 5. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that 
He'd come from God and was returning to God. Knew who he was. You know, he was confident in that. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, so there's a lot going on here. Again, this is Jesus' last meal with his disciples. He knows he's about to be betrayed. Uh, he knows he already has been betrayed by one of his good friends, one of these 12 that he's been spending all this time with for three years, pouring his life into him. He's going to be betrayed by Judas, one of his closest friends. And all that, at the same time, he knows what he's about to experience. What his purpose is, he's going to go through the most excruciating suffering, not just physically, but spiritually, that can be imagined. And so what does he do? With all of that going on, he gets a towel, fills up a bowl with water, gets down on his knees, and washes their nasty feet. I mean, that's an example for us. And when he's done, here's what he asks, verses 12 through 16 of John 13. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Because I've set, what, an example that you should do as I have done for you. There's no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So there you have it. God in the flesh, the one who created you know, all the galaxies, Jesus who is God, who is perfect, never done anything wrong, he not only tells them that no servant is greater than his master, he shows them, he demonstrates. Here's an object lesson. Listen, watch and learn. This is, this is how you live and lead. And then a while later, Jesus and the disciples go to that secluded spot, that garden called Gethsemane. And he says to them in Matthew 26, 38, get this. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So he knows what's coming. He knows he's about to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified, nailed to a cross. And he is overwhelmed by the thought of that. You ever been there? You ever been so overwhelmed? I, I, I know it's not comparable to what Jesus is going through. Nothing can compare to that. But, you know, you felt so overwhelmed by what you're going through that you're doing so much for other people, and, and yet you're still falling behind. You're, you're, so much stuff you're doing for them, trying to provide for them, and they still expect more. And you feel the weight of all the responsibilities and all the... the the answers you don't have to their questions and you're just feeling overwhelmed by the current situation you're in. I guess that's okay because Jesus was overwhelmed too and he admitted it. He says, guys, I'm overwhelmed to the point of death. So I, it seems to me it's okay to admit when you're struggling with things. To confess that to somebody else. You don't have to pretend everything's going great. You know, everything, your life is awesome. We've all got worries and anxieties and things start to pile up and pressure us and you're carrying all this weight and I'm telling you, it's not healthy to act like everything's okay when it's not because it's going to come out in some other kind of unhealthy way. So Jesus shares that burden with his friends. But he does more than that. They begin to pray about it. He asks his friends to pray with me. Matthew 26, 39. In fact, everybody together out loud, Allen Park 2, let's read this together. Here we go. Going a little farther... 
he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So he's telling his disciples, not, not just telling them about this God who cares about them, but he's showing them through his prayers, through his life. He's living obediently in these darkest moments leading up to his death. He's overwhelmed. What do I do? How do I deal with this? What's, he drops to his knees. And he calls out to God. And we don't know how long he prays, but we know that he, he goes out and then he comes back for another round. And he prays some more. Verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup, this cup of suffering, to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So as a man struggling, he's struggling with his, his life, with death. He's struggling with his purpose. He needs, he needs God. He needs reassurance. And even though he feels so overwhelmed, he continues to trust God. He's living it out. He lives this big idea that you make it personal. You know, you, you make it personal. How? Not by talking about it, but by living it. You got to show them. If you want to leave a legacy for your kids, for your grandkids, for future generations, that's actually going to help them when you're not there in those good moments and in those dark moments, not only do you need to point them to this God, you got to show them how to live for God. you got to demonstrate it. And I think that would fundamentally change the way we parent if we thought that the most important thing I could do to leave a legacy that would last is to, is to demonstrate it to my kids, my friends, everybody, to show them this is, what it, this is what it means to live for God. But you know what? You're still going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. Isn't that right? That no matter how well you do, you're still going to hurt your kids in some ways, it, sometimes just unintentionally. Tell you, I'll tell you how, a couple ways, with my younger son, Thomas, another Thomas story of something I did to mess him up really good, is um, when he was young, I don't know, four or five years old, we had this uh, playscape in our backyard, you know, wooden playscape with one of those clubhouses at the top, and you climb the ladder to get up there. And so he climbed to the top, and I would stand there and say, jump, and he would jump into my arms, and he'd climb back up the steps. And he'd jump into my arms, and I'd move away a little bit further. And jump, and he'd jump, and he, i keep moving back further. Well, you see where this is going. <laughs> one time, I'm standing pretty far back now. And he jumps, but his foot catches on one of the boards. And there's the ladder, and this is my son, and that's his face. Smack right against one of those wooden steps. And I'm telling you, oh, my goodness. Woo, the cry that came out was so loud. My older son ran into the house to tell mom, Dad didn't do it. Dad didn't do anything. <laughs> was very thankful for because, man, I mean, it, it didn't break any bones or anything, but, oh, his face was black and blue and purple for, I think, weeks. And we have a picture of it, but I'm not putting it on the screen because I don't want any evidence, you know, if they go back and say, what did Brett do? Oh, he abused his child. Look at that. We didn't want to take him out in public for, I don't know, for, a, for a long time because he just looked so miserable. Didn't mean to hurt him. I wanted him to trust me, but look where his trust got him. Even with the best of intentions, right? Another time, went on a vacation and, uh, well, let, let me back up. I'm going to say that one for a little bit later with my older son. 
Let me tell you about this one instead. <laughs> when he's, again, I don't know, four or five years old, we used to enjoy just hanging out watching scary movies together. I'm talking old school black and white, Universal Studios, Frankenstein, Wolfman, The Mummy. You remember those? Great old film. I loved him as a kid. Shared them with him, but nothing is scaring him. He's in impervious to fear and I think I got to find something to put a little bit of a scare into him make it fun right so I'm listening to a guy talk on the radio about this old TV miniseries from the 80s I remember oh yeah I remember that I remember watching that I'll show him that you know it's a TV show how scary can it be so I rented it and showed it to him it was Stephen King's it <laughs> not the current one but the 80s one just that I hadn't remembered how scary it really was with that clown with the sharp teeth. And then there's a scene where the blood's coming out of the sink. And, I went, oh, and that's when my wife walks in the room. So we turned it off immediately. And he, oh, he was scared. And he was scarred. I mean, scarred for years, I think. I don't know how many times he had to come into our bedroom at night. You know, what can I do? I can't send him away. I did it to him. So, not intentionally, but sometimes we can set a poor example or, or lead our kids in the wrong direction. But you know what? It's okay for our kids to see us mess up. You don't have to be a perfect parent to lead them well. In fact, you make it personal when you let them see that you're not perfect, that you don't always have it all together because God's writing a story in your life, in your heart, one of redemption and restoration. And one of the most powerful things that your children, your grandchildren can see is the change that God has made in your life, that you're not the person who used to be, that you've grown. I mean, how can they know what God has done in your life now unless they see in some sense, what you were before. How are they going to know just how powerful and trustworthy God is? Kids already have a front row to their parents' lives. They see it pretty much everything, even the stuff we don't think they're seeing. And the question is, is it just a show, or are they going on a real adventure and seeing the courage and the perseverance that, that God has given you to overcome those obstacles? Parents, we got to show what it's like to pursue a real relationship with God. Parents, we got to show them what a committed, loving marriage really looks like. Not perfect, but a committed, loving one. we got to show them what it means to prioritize Jesus as number one in their lives. To show them how to reject the consumerism and the materialism of this world. Kids need to see their parents struggle with answers and deal with problems and face their weaknesses and admit when they're wrong and fight for their marriages and resolve conflict. They need to see that in, in a way that's healthy to show them this is how God works in your life they need to see it demonstrated and that's I think that's what's going to stick with your kids far more than your words will it's like I don't remember all the good stuff I did with my kids I always I remember all the ways I messed up with them right well they're going to remember that kind of stuff too and how you dealt with it some of my favorite stories are the kids who tell about life change that came into their homes once their parents met Jesus. Kids who say, man, my, I didn't realize how messed up my parents were. I mean, it was just life. That was normal life. I didn't realize what, how bad it was until their lives began to change. And, and, you know, dad didn't come home drunk anymore. 
and they, they didn't throw the wild parties that they used to, and they haven't thrown anything at each other for like two years now. When they say, my dad actually tells me he loves me like almost every day, and my mom doesn't always argue with him anymore, and we do stuff together as a family. It's like we actually hang out together as a family. I didn't know what I was missing until I saw the changes that happened in their lives. And the change started happening when they started going to church. And now they got Bibles in like every room. And the, my dad's like reading it sometimes, you know. And so we even read it together sometimes. And that right now media thing, we sit down and we watch shows together as a family. We never used to do any of that stuff. And, you know, moms admitted some of the things that they used to do that were pretty wild and crazy. And I used to be really angry about all that and embarrassed by it all. But I'm not anymore because I've seen the changes in their lives. And I'm amazed by it. And I'm not mad about it. I'm thankful. Because if God can make changes like that in their lives, then he can make changes in my life too. If that's the kind of God that they, they believe in and they serve, that's the God I want. That's a beautiful thing to see. Those stories... When parents make it personal, that's the kind of legacy that we leave for our kids when we make it personal. That's the legacy that lasts. You know, when, when you talk about going on vacation, I, I said I'd tell you this other story of how I messed up my other son. Um, you know, it's, it's fun going to a vacation destination you've never been to before. So uh, w when it was just my older son, you know, at the time that he was the only child we had then, he was like five years old. And we went to Niagara Falls, and on the American side of the falls, there was this really tall water slide. I don't think he'd ever been on a water slide before, so we climb and climb and climb. It's really tall. And we get up to the top, and we're going to slide down together. Woo, good time, fun. And the guy at the top says, you can't slide together. It's only one at a time. Okay, folks, what do you do in that situation? Do you send your child down first? Because mom's down there at the bottom, right? She's ready for him if he comes. So send him down first, and then I'll follow later. Or do you, as a parent, do you go first and leave him up at the top, leave your child at the top with a guy up there, and then have him send him down? How many would send their child down first? How many would say, I would go down first? <laughs> Guess what? I think both are wrong. I think what I should have done is just picked him up and walked back down the stairs. Because <laughs> it was a no-win situation. So, dad sends him down first. Not because I had not been down the slide. I didn't know what to expect, that when you get to the bottom, whoosh, you go way under. And yet another child is scarred for life now. <laughs> it's hard to send your child to a place where you have not been first. You want to make sure that you have gone there first. And you can't leave them a legacy that points to Jesus if you haven't gone there first yourself. You can't be the hero that they need. Because you're not always going to be there. You're not always going to be with them. But you can leave a legacy of love and hope if you go there first. And then bring them along. And next week, I hope you're going to be back and you're going to bring somebody with you because we're going to take the next step and leaving a legacy that's last, and that's to establish milestones. And it's going to be the last one, so you don't want to miss it. But here are some practical things you can do right now to start building this legacy. Again, if you know this big idea, you make it personal. By living it, then you ask these questions. Do I believe that I need a hero? Or am I like, I got this. I got, I'm, I'm 
everything my child needs? Or do I need a hero? Do I believe that Jesus is the hero? Is there a better one out there? If there is, please show me. All right, and if you're not yet following Christ, those are the two main questions I would urge you to consider. If you're already a Christ follower, you've received him as your savior, then ask these two questions. Do I allow people to see my need for a hero, including my kids? Do they see that I need a hero too? And do I live like I trust Jesus? Now, again, we're going to give you a number that you can text to get those questions from not only this week, but previous weeks, and also some the, these legacy building guides. Text the word legacy to that same number, 734-890-5454. You're going to get all of that so that you can leave your kids, your family, your friends better off than, than how you found them. But as much as we want to do that, there's only one person you need to focus on right now. Take your mind off everybody else and put it on this one person, and that's you. Before you can leave a legacy that can overcome stress and anxieties, that can overcome guilt and shame, that can give hope and build trust, you need to go there yourself. You've got to have it yourself. You, you can't fix everything in this world. You can't protect your kids from everything. In fact, sometimes you're still going to mess up and you're going to hurt them in some ways, intentionally or unintentionally. You can plan everything out perfectly and it's still the wheels are going to come off at some point. And who's going to be there for you? Where are you going to turn? Because your plan, I can guarantee you, is not the best plan. God's got a better plan, but... You already know that, don't you? I mean, deep down, you know. You need more than what you can offer. I need a hero, too. A hero that I can pass on. So where are you with that? Have you done things that you're ashamed of? Have you hurt others, including your family? Have you lied and deceived people? Have you misled them? And we all know the answer is yes. We've all done those kinds of things. We've all messed up. And we're carrying around this guilt and this shame and this regret. But we just keep pressing on, trying to ignore it. Like it, we want to we go into the future and not deal with all that baggage, thinking it's not going to affect us. But it does. And if we, we keep shoving it aside, pretending it's not there, it becomes a crushing weight on us. Wouldn't you like to get that weight off your shoulders? Wouldn't you like to be free of all that? It, you need a hero that can rescue you from all that guilt and shame and from your sin. And your kids need to see a dad who needs a hero. And their mom, they need to see their mom who desperately needs a hero. Your friends need to see you need this hero too because there's going to come a point in all of their lives where they're going to need this hero too. And where are they going to turn? You've already gone before them and you've prepared the way. You've showed them the way the destination you've recognized that Jesus is the hero if you need him in your life I'm going to invite you to pray with me and just say something like this with me in your, in your own heart you know you don't have to pray out loud say Lord God I'm recognizing my need for a hero for a savior I've got guilt I've got shame I've got anxieties I've got worries I got problems, problems I don't know how to overcome. I got addictions, I got pride, I got so much anger, I don't know how to get rid of it. I need a savior. And I'm beginning to recognize you're the one I need. And Jesus, I wanna follow you. So I'm inviting you to be my Lord. 
And I want to say I'm sorry for not trusting you and for my sin. I confess that. And I confess that I now believe that, that Jesus, you, you are God, that you died and rose from the grave and you've made it possible for me to have peace. And I want to pray that prayer that, that you prayed, Jesus, in that garden. It's no longer as I will, but as you will. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to point you to these four basic facts of life. It all comes down to this. God loves you, but your sin has separated you from God. Jesus offers a right relationship with God, but you must receive it by faith, exhibited in repentance and baptism. Because when you believe and you repent and you're baptized into Christ, you are promised forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit to help you, and eternal life. That can be yours today. And so at Allen Park, at Trenton, we're going to have some folks at the front in the next few moments as we sing this song. Some friends that will be waiting for you that can help you take your next step, that can get you ready to be baptized today, that can pray with you. I also want you to be aware that the elders invite anybody who has a prayer need to come out this Tuesday, 5.30 at the Trenton campus in meeting room E, and we would be privileged and honored to pray over whatever needs you have. But this is your moment to make sure that your heart is right with God. So let's stand together.